we will get stuck in here to the questions. First one is on, not Romans, but dating. Don't know why that might come up at this uh, weekend. As well as dating a Christian, do you think it is also important to be dating someone who is on the same level spiritually, i.e. with similar vision, aspirations towards Christ, likeness, uh, spiritual goals, etc.? What does the Bible have to say about this? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a very good question. And uh, it's not, it's not, there's no easy answer to that question because, you know, we're, we're talking about... Um, are we talking about 20-year-olds? Are we talking about 30-year-olds? Are we talking about 40-year-olds? Are we talking about 60-year-olds who are dating again for various reasons? Um, are we talking about the man being spiritually weak or the woman being spiritually weaker. And most often, the females are spiritually more attuned at a younger age than the the males. Hence, there are far more females here than males. Um, So there's a a number of different related issues. Um, Do not be unequally yoked obviously refers to Uh, Christian and non-Christian, but I think you can take a general principle that there may be a point in the relationship where obviously there's a complete mismatch and that's not going to be good. And I think uh, especially if the the man is weaker, and I mean far weaker spiritually, that can cause more problems because men need to be the leaders and if they can't and they give up that role or simply can't fulfill that role... Um, it can lead to, to problems. Um, so I'm not blaming the females by any means. It's, the, it's a male problem, just to sound like another Canadian, um, Jordan Peterson. Uh, so I, I would say that you're never going to find two people equally matched in really anything. That's not even God's intention. Um, but one good place to start is if you go to the same church or same denomination, that should basically alleviate most of those issues. The, the problem is you find someone who's in a totally different church denomination. Um, one's a new Christian. One's been a Christian since they can remember. And uh, it becomes patently obvious to both of them that there's a mismatch. And then it's a case of how do you want to deal with that? And that doesn't mean you can't be married or can't continue the relationship, but you do have to be aware when there's a mismatch and, and how you can uh, fix that. And, and sometimes people make great strides in a relationship because they simply have to. The only thing I'll say in conclusion is, is when you see that it, it remains a mismatch even in the marriage and one person is clearly carrying the family spiritually. And that almost always is the woman carrying the children while the man is derelict in his duty towards his family. It's not really an answer, it's more an analysis of what is. Well, sticking with analysis, uh, Jordan Peterson has uh, analyzed uh, certain things. Uh, There's a question here about him, fellow Canadian. Uh, What do you make of the Jordan Peterson phenomenon? Uh, What can the church learn from it about reaching young men? Yeah, I don't... 
Good churches don't need Jordan Peterson. That's that's clear. We don't. You know, it's he's he's not a Christian. Um, Jordan Peterson is very helpful in Canadian culture and, and and worldwide because he's he's willing to buck cultural trends in what is okay to say. But this is something the church should be aware of and 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 know how to do regardless of Jordan Peterson or not. So I think what Jordan Peterson has done for a lot of people is given them a bit of courage to actually say, well, what do we actually believe and why do we believe it? And and you hear him with very eloquent and articulate arguments that that really make sense so that the church can learn from the fact that we do need intellectual, eloquent, articulate spokespeople to give a coherent account of the faith. But Jordan Peterson can't do anything for the church at all um, right now because he is not a Christian. And it's more of an indictment upon the church than on Jordan Peterson when I say that because, uh, quite frankly, he's more interesting to listen to than a lot of so-called Christian um, intellectuals. So um, we can learn a lot from him in one respect, but in another respect, you know, his teaching will ultimately lead you to hell. That's, you know, it's not Christian. Okay. Question, last question about, about young men. Um, another question here from someone. Uh, Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. Is the modern Christian male a failure? <laughs> can, you, can you give me that question? Stop loading his Twitter feed here. <laughs> it, it actually this is, is awesome. <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, so about Samson, since the person asking the question has a, a vast and wide knowledge of Samson, um, you, you, he was a prophet, specially endowed by the Spirit to do supernatural prophetic actions such as being able to kill. Um, but the whole picture of Samson is that he was also, in many respects, a moral failure. Um, had to go back to the first question, uh, woman problems of a, a of significant sort, um, you know, Delilah. Uh, and uh, he had hair issues, um, <laughs> you know? So... You know, it, but there is a serious part to that question in a sense that is the, you know, you, you do see Samson as a sort of representative of a strong male and, 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 and you know, bursting with testosterone. And, you know, you just, you probably wouldn't have imagined Samson to be a guy you would just push over. He was a, he was a man and, you, you know, it probably would have been quite a sight to see this guy in all of his strength and glory, right? But um, is the modern Christian man a failure? Some are, some aren't. Um, some are great men, some I'm very proud to know and be friends with, and some are total failures, and um, it's not one or the other. It's just the way we are, and uh, I would just encourage you to to, to not be a failure um, because uh, it's one of the best things in the world uh, for us to see a, a man and a woman who represent God's image in them in the beauty that characterizes female and 
in the strength and, and leadership that char- should characterize a man. And, and when you see that in a, in a female and a man, it's, it's really just a striking thing in today's context. But when those things start to get blurred, it's, it's really an awful looking thing. A question about prayer. Uh, when we pray, we pray. I've prayed to the Father in the name of the Son by the power of the Spirit, or at least that's what I've been taught. Is it wrong to pray directly to Jesus or the Holy Spirit? Obviously, they are God, or do we need to follow that prescribed method? If it's not wrong, when would you address a prayer to which member of the Godhead? That's the, the usual pattern is the one described, but since... Jesus is God and the Spirit is God, um, it's theologically acceptable to pray to God. And when you're praying to the Father, you have to understand you're praying to God, and God is still also triune. So there's a way in which we approach the Father in the name of the, the Son by the power of the Spirit. But um, I've asked the Spirit to fill me. Um, there's a hymn, Breathe on Me, Breath of God, as a hymn to the Holy Spirit. And um, you, you can certainly ask Jesus for things directly. Um, and uh, so there would be specific instances where you would speak to one of the persons because of the specific work they do in us and um, but generally you pray to God as your father but it's not an either or it would just be a preponderance of most would be to come to the father in a certain way but you can't rule out that there'll be other times and places where you will call upon one of the other two persons directly okay uh picking up on uh what you said yesterday what does it mean practically practically to set my mind on the things of the spirit and can you give some examples yeah so to set your mind on the things of the spirit would be to um there was an example from philippians you know whatever is whatever is true whatever is noble whatever's right, um, whatever's praiseworthy, think on such things. So to set your mind on the things of the Spirit is, is anything that would tend to, to glorify God, and, and that would be things like setting your mind on the truth or setting your mind on mercy towards uh, others or setting your mind on kindness and, and forgiveness. And so anything that promotes God's law, his gospel, um, and just general kindness towards others is setting your mind on the things of the spirit because the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness so it's distinct actings and thoughts towards specific aspects of life okay what do you mean by the term reformed uh well that that's a book i started and i'm four chapters in and then i quit (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so uh, four parts of an answer then there's four yeah there's four chapters in and I realized it is a difficult question I think generally the easiest answer I can offer is that reformed has to do with a, a confessional a broadly confessional history um, of churches that sort of identify themselves as reformed but have a confessional basis for doing so so you you can say I'm reformed but if your theology is absolutely in opposition to how Reformed churches historically have believed, you, you have to then wonder why would you want to carry that, that name. So how wide and stretchy is the Reformed tradition is, is the million-dollar question. Uh, I've edited two books, one on the 17th century, one on the 18th century, on intra-Reformed debates, which is debates among Reformed theologians, to show that they didn't all just agree on everything. There were times when they 
drew their swords. In fact, they literally drew their swords at the Synod of Dort. Um, and someone says, no, no, we need to pray. And so they pray, and then they finish praying, and they drew their swords again. <laughs> so um, I would say look at the confessions, Westminster Confession, Synod of Dort, Heidelberg, Belgic. There's tons of, of confessions in that area. Even the London 1677-89, you have the, the, the so-called Reformed Baptists. Um, some of my friends freak out over that. I don't. Um, you know, I know when someone says I'm a Reformed Baptist where they would differ from me. So in every other area, basically, we have a lot of common ground. And um, after that, it does start to get tricky. So uh, nobody has the answer uh, because God hasn't dropped down a Reformed um, definition for us. But I think there's some basic principles in the confessions. Okay. Uh, What are the common sins of bookish Christians and how can they actively fight them? That's a good question. Bookish Christians, uh, they do exist. And Once you're reading all those confessions, <laughs> bedtime reading. No, well, I, there's different types of bookish Christians. You know, my, my Facebook is a great place for me to get irate over sort of just the, the pride people have from, you know, like uh, how many books they have and they see this huge Amazon truck and they're like, oh, it's my Amazon order. Ha ha, right? And <laughs> There's like a million books in there. And, and there's this, you know, reformed thing about, you know, books and reading and stuff. And, and this can also be a problem for people who are ministers. You know, they, they, they think that it's their job to sit around and read all day. But when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, he was actually out and about all the time. He was public. He was, he was talking to people. And... I think you should seek to have some balance in your life. There's that word balance that usually is just we can all say and it makes us sound like we're doing something right. Balance, what I mean by that is that there should be a discernible pattern in your life whereby you know when to be public and when to be private and the public is with people and there should also be a public aspect of your life where you're with people who are not like you as well as people who are like you. So... When I'm coaching a soccer team and I've got all these parents going crazy on the sideline and I talk to them and reason with them, I'm learning different skills that I can't learn simply sitting around a table singing hymns or doing something with fellow Christians. It's, it's, it's just a whole different type of thing. And then I need to be in books and learning and expanding my knowledge of God to, to be able to do my job of preaching and stuff. So if you find your, yourself drawn to one area... You, you've really got to struggle to, to push yourself into other areas because um, that starts from when you're a child. So some children get away with murder. You know what they do? They come home, they've been at school all day, they go up to the room and they read a book for four hours and we go, oh, my child. I think that's a tragedy. That's an absolute tragedy, especially if it's a boy. A boy should go out and hurt themselves. Um, LAUGHTER if, it, if a boy doesn't come in once a week with some blood on their hands or knees or something, something's gone wrong. So, um. Okay. Uh, <laughs> how can we determine our gifts? How can we determine our gifts? Um, well, that, there's spiritual gifts, intellectual gifts, physical gifts, all those types. Um, a lot of times we know. Uh, we just know. So um, sometimes it's patently obvious. Others don't know. They're, they're less, they're insecure, and they have gifts. They just don't know how to express that they have a gift. 
so they need others to help them and tell them. And so part of our duty as a Christian is to look at people and maybe um, tell them what we think they're, they're good at and encourage them in that area and give them the confidence so that they can use their gift because not everyone's confident to use the gifts they have. So they, they depend upon others. And so if you feel as though you see something in someone that's not being used, your job is to encourage and draw that out of them because you want what's best for the church. And that may mean that person using a gift they're not adequately using. Or um, you may be one of the very, very few people in this world who really is not remarkably gifted at, at a whole lot. And so you need to pray and ask for, for something. <laughs> um, and there's always something you can do. Okay. If Satan was a fallen angel, does that mean there is sin in heaven? Uh, well, if he was a fallen angel and lived in heaven and resided there and communed there and worshipped there, yeah, it would, it would mean that. I don't think it necessarily follows that because he's a fallen angel that he's in heaven. Um, now going to the courts of God and the whole issue with Job and stuff like that, that's a, that's a, that's, it's a, it's a different type of question. But I, I, don't think there's, I don't think the Satan and his angels are in heaven and we won't have to worry about them. And so... Okay. Um, subject of sin still. Uh, if we are dead to sin but alive in Christ, how does sin still have so much power over us? Is sin a zombie? <laughs> Yeah, so we have died to the dominion of sin um, in, in terms of we, we can deal with sin now. Uh, but it is, indwelling sin is a powerful, powerful force. So uh, you, you have to understand two things. A, that you do have the Spirit and you've been set free. But B, that battle is so real and vigorous and, and, and awful that it will sometimes feel like you're still under its bondage. Uh, and the, the real issue for you to understand is there's a prayer I, um, there's a prayer that I've sometimes uttered where I say, I, I, I am not what I uh, could be. Uh, I am not what I want to be. Uh, and I am not what I should be. But I thank God I am not what I once used to be. And, and that just simply means that our progressive sanctification, you know, it's not like this. It's, it's probably like this. And, and even on that little thing, if I were to stretch that out, it's not like we just get more holy. We go, zoom, do, 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 you know, we take a circuitous route. It's, 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 it's really, uh, Samuel Davies, the great American preacher, said, most of our sanctification is more imagined than real. And he's, it's true. Um, I, I remember thinking I was so holy at university. I was in my, like, 21 or 22, and my roommate did something to really annoy me, and I was a Christian, and I jumped on the bed and strangled him like this, and his face, I was like, wow, you know? And I was so upset, not because I strangled him, but because, <laughs> <laughs> because I thought I was so holy I'd never do something like that. So the good thing is I don't strangle people anymore. Uh, <laughs> so... Just be realistic about your sanctification, and the people who would, maybe someone who would ask that question might think that, well, you know, I really should be here, and I'm here. But if you could be more realistic about where you're going to be, um, 
you can understand you really can make little strides. Can I win a book by correctly predicting that child number five and six will be Mo Jones and Divock Jones? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were the scorers last night. I don't think I'm equipped to deal with two more children. <laughs> Grandchildren, maybe. Hand them off when they need to go to bed. Papa Jones to Mo Jones? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Are good works an instrumental cause of final salvation? Oh, wow. Did you just buy my blue book, and if it doesn't answer that, then... Um, yeah, it's a question I could answer yes and no. Um, but if I were to answer it, it will just confuse everyone here, so I'm going to refrain from answering it and just say, if you want to know the answer to that question, read um, about 10 to 15 articles I've written on the internet on this topic, whether Reformation 21, the Calvinist International, Defending John Piper, um, the Blue Book, uh, Antinomianism, Reformed Theology's Unwelcome Guest. I don't know if there's any copies left of that. Um, those are questions you need to read, like some proper books to get the scholastic terminology and understand what is said and what isn't. But giving an answer in a context like this, I've learned too much over the years not to do that. The book uh, is down there, the Christian's Pocket Guide to Good Works and Rewards. Um, the book stall is closed now, but if you speak to David, he might be able to get you sorted out uh, as he's clearing it away. Uh, you talked about each member of the body of Christ having gifts. In what ways or how do you determine what your gifts are? Maybe you've touched on that yeah. already. Okay. Um, Failing to find a copy of that John Owen book, as a single young reformed man, have you any other tips to get a wife? As a single young reformed man, do you have any tips to get a wife? I, I could write a book on this, to be honest. Mainly because I transgressed in the worst possible way once trying to find a wife um, through the internet. It was, it was quite a funny story, if you've, if you've got a minute or two. Really. It, 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 <laughs> it only makes me look... It's a humbling story. So, um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I wanted to marry a minister's daughter. That was my goal when I became a Christian. I was young, and... Um, <laughs> So I went on some dating website, Christian Singles Dating, whatever, dot com, I forget. It was some Christian something. And um, you, you kind of see people, their picture stuff, and then if you kind of like the picture, you, you, know, you, you click, you get to know them. But there was one girl, her name was uh, Georgia. She was from Sydney, Australia, and I didn't know that, but I just got talking to her, and she was, said she was reformed, and her dad was a minister, and I was like, all oh, the stars are aligning. <laughs> And, but I didn't know a picture of her. And then she, I says, oh, well, let's send a picture in the mail. And this was like real mail, you know, like you actually had to take a picture and get it developed and stuff. This is, whereas today, right, just do a snap, um, you know, Facebook pictures. The girl's always prettier than what she is in real life on Facebook. And she's not as ugly as her driver's license. So you've got to <laughs> find something in the middle. <laughs> I, I speak the truth. <laughs> So she sent this picture, and it came in, the, in an envelope, and she also sent a tape, and um, it was like 
Celtic women, those, what are those women? He is exalted. They, they sing all the songs. You know those um, lovely music. So I see this picture and I go, wow, she is beautiful. She is definitely the one for me. Uh, and I just thought, this is too good to be true. She wrote a letter. We stayed in contact. Um, and so I went off to university and I saved up my money by living in this dark, dungy basement of an old man where it was horrific, but I saved so much money, I was able to fly to Sydney to go and see her. And there was a young lady at university I went to who, who we, would, we just had an on and off sort of relationship, and, and um, she found out. She was very upset, but she had a car, and she drove me to the airport to, to drop me off. Yeah, and so she cried when I got you know, was going on to the, uh, see this girl in Australia because she knew where I was going. So it took me like three days to get there because I took the cheapest route possible. <laughs> I went to Montreal, New York, up to Alaska, to Taipei, down to Sydney on China Airlines. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not even the worst part. <laughs> I'll hopefully come back to the question. <laughs> Sorry. And so I get off the plane, and, uh, you know, I'm excited, and I, I got changed afresh on the plane, and I did my hair, and, you know, all this stuff. And, <laughs> uh, and I, I got off the plane, and I see this girl, and I'm, I'm just like, that's her? And all of a sudden, she definitely did not look like her picture. Now, the funny thing is, my dad had already done a preemptive strike by going to Sydney, because he liked Sydney, and meeting her. So he'd met her and went over to her house for lunch, and he's like, Mark, uh, I don't know about this one. I'm like, oh, well, he's so critical. He can't be right. So I meet her. She, she, she sent me a picture of when she was the state cross-country champion, but um, she, you know, I don't want to get into the details too much, but she certainly wasn't the state cross-country champion anymore. <laughs> so I'm there for two weeks at her house with their parents and stuff and it was a disaster we we went to go see my big fat greek wedding actually um ironically she's greek and uh so then i got on the plane china airlines the plane almost fell over the sky and i had like for five or six years a dreaded fear of flying because of that trip back and then i got picked up from the airport by the young lady who dropped me off at the airport, and that young lady is with my four children at home. Uh, <laughs> so, lesson learned. Lesson learned to young men. Don't be stupid. <laughs> Don't be impetuous. Try to avoid a picture and thinking it's solved everything. And, and wait on God uh, and providence to, to arrange something instead of you being the architect of your own destruction because um, usually young guys don't think straight at all uh, when, they, when they fall in love. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, wish, I don't know if that was an answer, but it's you know, just interesting for you to know that I'm a total idiot. <laughs> All things working together for good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if all things are working together for our good, and if we are in God's will, if we follow the Bible truths, uh, where does God's peace come in? If we, if we 
if we are in God's will and if we follow the Bible truth, where does God's peace come in? It, it, it just will come in. Like, the fact is, is that when you live for God's glory and when you um, are genuinely trying to obey him and, and stuff, you, you have peace. And it's very rare for people to not have peace when they are living a consistent, godly Christian life. Not a perfect Christian life, but God's peace, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus because um, that's what he does for his children. So um, that's about all I can say. How do you hold on to hope in the midst of suffering and pain when you know in your head God is good and all wise, but you can tell you are losing heart and you feel you're losing the will to fight against the feelings and thoughts that invade your mind? You don't want to lose faith, but it feels like that it's not far off. Yeah, that sounds, that's a, that's a real obviously serious question. And that's the type of question where I, I don't really want to give an answer sitting here to someone who's got a real struggle going on like that as though I can give you a, a one-minute answer and do justice to that. So what I would say is that for that person who's going through that, you need to make sure that you're, you've got real pastoral care to, to deal with probably a host of different issues that are, are going on. So if I were to just give you an answer... Uh, in a minute, it, it could sound theologically correct. And what happens then if you go away and that, that answer really hasn't solved your issue? That's why God's given you the church, elders, deacons, friends, um, someone who can really come alongside you and deal with what are very complex problems. And so for some of these questions, the, the, there's answers. You know, we, we can make light of some. We can give a theological correct. Other questions you can't answer in a, in a forum like this. There's been a few I just can't. Um, because it's not appropriate. Um, so I'd be doing a disservice to the person who asked it by answering in a, in, in a situation like that. So I'm not evading it. I just think if, if that's a real struggle for you, you need help. Not like in a pejorative sense. You, you really do need good help. This is sort of connected and maybe be similar answer, but how can I help a friend in despair with depression to cling to the hope uh, of Romans 8.28? I'm sure... Whether we're not in that situation, there's maybe people we know. How would you advise us as members of Christ Church to, to help others? Yeah, well, uh, you know, there are some things you can, you can do. I mean, besides praying for them and, and being a good friend to them and not just an absent friend, but a good friend, there's, there's, the fact is, you know, people also need to see doctors and, and, and make sure they're physically okay. And, you know, not being a doctor, I have to be careful how much I say here, but there are people who genuinely have physical health issues that lead them to spiritual health issues because the body and soul is so complex that um, when one goes, the other can go. And it can be the soul that, that suffers and the body starts to suffer, or it can be the body that suffers and the soul starts to suffer. So I often also say that, that you, you may need to make sure you're physically okay, um, alongside all of the other things that I just talked about, going to see your pastor and getting proper care. Okay. Uh, what do you think is the best way to deal with struggling with singleness and the loneliness that can be connected to it? Well, yeah, it's, in our church we have several people who are, who are at that stage, and, and you, you, know, you, you don't understand. Sometimes you understand why, um, but a lot of times you don't. You just don't understand why, and you... you, you, you 
kind of just wonder what is why doesn't God just provide like um, there's a young lady in our church she's she's 28 and I think 99% of the church see her and just go she likes theology she t- takes my daughter out for day trips to hang out with her she's normal pretty nice what is going on here <laughs> and, you, and you don't understand and, and a lot of times um, it's something that only God knows because um, some things don't make sense to us and if everything did make sense to us we'd all be probably happily married at 25 and maybe by 30 have a few kids and then by 40 ready for them to all graduate from university and by 50 they're taking care of us and by 60 um, they're making enough money to put us in a nice home (laughs) that might be a bit bit early (laughs) but you know like our our way of thinking leads to, to to obviously happy results in our timing, in the way we like, and the way things actually work in the church. Um, I don't understand. I have to just say I don't. I can't give an answer to that. I don't understand why there's some good people who who don't find someone they can love and would be good spouses, and I don't understand why some awful human beings find good spouses or stuff like that in the church and you just think wow you know uh i don't get it um so i'm sorry i i don't i don't have an answer i actually just say to god why sort of like i do in my own life with lots of things i don't know um and that might help you to just kind of say yeah it is actually a if i were to say oh well here's the reasons dun, 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 and then you're like oh crap i've tried all of those um so Pray, don't snatch uh, at, at gifts that aren't yours, and um, get some good friends who can, you know, help. Um, I used to take, uh, I, I do haircuts for kids in the church, I give them fancy haircuts with lines and lightning bolts and things like that. <laughs> and then the adults started wanting haircuts, the, the men. I started giving men haircuts. But there were certain guys in my church where I, I, my wife and I said to this one guy, his name was Garth, we're like, you know, you only wear blue jeans and a black T-shirt ever. We've only ever, and we, he's over to our house all the time, we've only seen you in a black T-shirt and blue jeans. Let's go shopping. He's like, oh, okay. So we get him like a light-colored shirt, this. Then we're like, you know what? He was going off to meet a girl that he'd met on, uh, who was a friend of ours. We kind of put them in touch with each other, and he, he flew to go meet her because he was going somewhere. And we're like, you know, we need to tell him about his big, bushy eyebrows. <laughs> so we send an email to him. Gareth, you know, you may want to go and get your big, bushy eyebrows trimmed because they're intense. Like, they were like crazy, and I just thought, this will help him out. So we get an email back from him, and in the title says, Garth's Big Bushy Eyebrows. <laughs> and he goes, actually, the meeting went really great. The only problem is I saw this email after I met her. <laughs> so they were actually got quite close, but they never, ended up, I think they never ended up getting married. He got married to someone else. But, um, you know, there's some actual things where guys and girls need to uh, do a few things to help themselves out, if you know what I mean. And friends should be the ones to do that. I don't know if being a pastor, that's my calling in life. Um, you know, with a young lady, hey, you know, you might want to do something there or that hair color's awful. Um, let your friends take care of that. But there is a sense in which as Christians, we don't despise beauty. We don't despise 
looking nice. We also don't go to extremes on making it an idol, but some people do need to like say, hey, am I, am I dressing properly or something? Um, do I need a better haircut? Is that right, Ben? Hair's all right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Claire tells me I look like a cowboy today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Preparing the other person to, in sense, like accept those, or, or what do you mean? Yeah, true. Well, yeah, I agree. You know, that maybe they aren't ready at that time. I, I, I still think, though, that there's, there's certain things like just basic body habits and cleanliness and things where you're, you're presenting yourself in a way that's, you know, acceptable, where um, deodorant, for example, like imagine being around a guy who just stinks all the time. Like, I'm, I'm being serious. It's not like you say, well, the, the love of Christ constrains me that I can do that. Like, there's certain things you need to just be aware of as a human being that some people just aren't aware of, is what I would say. And that would be like, you know, combing your hair is a basic thing in society we do. Mostly. And there's some people who just don't do certain things, brush their teeth properly, like... And I, I actually see this in the church where people don't actually seem to care at all. And I think, you want to get married, you, you need to, you know, look like you want to get married. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's what I think. I'm not trying to be mean or anything about it, but it, I've seen a lot of this. Um, the black T-shirt guy, um, he was one of my best friends, so I could tell him. You know, I don't advise going around to everyone saying, oh, that T-shirt's ugly and all that. I could say, Garth, you need to get a different color T-shirt. And he doesn't run away and he's upset. He's like, okay, let's go shopping. Right? So you've also got to know your audience. Um, would be something I'd say. Okay. Uh, you mentioned yesterday you thought Jonah died, um, I suppose, at the end of chapter one. Why do you think that? Generally, when there's a mighty tempest and you get thrown overboard, uh, you know, you don't go swimming around saying, oh, here I am, and then a whale comes. Um, that's my first reason is that, um, you know, Jonah went down. And, and when you look at the language of chapter 2, it's clear to me that, that there's a type of death that takes place in the way the language of chapter 2 Unfolds, but the other thing is, you've also got the parallel account with how Jesus says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale, there's the death resurrection motif that Jesus is alluding to. So, if you take sort of what would happen to someone in a tempest, you know, getting thrown over a ship and going through a judgment and dying, and then the, the whale comes, the fish, the big fish comes and rescues him and spits him out. It's, it's a picture of Christ. And read the language of chapter 2. He goes to the depths of the ocean. He doesn't just stay floating on the top waiting for someone to rescue him. So um, that's my view. Okay, we're coming to a close. Um, but a couple more. Uh, how do the following fit together in salvation? Baptism, faith, obedience, initial justification, final justification, and final judgment according to works. Have you got I, I guarantee a young man wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> I know which young man. <laughs> 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 it wasn't me. Yeah, you, you know what? Um, antinomianism, I address all those things in antinomianism because that's dealing with those types of questions. John Murray, 
um, his book Redemption Accomplished and Applied. You know, it's all out there. So um, you just need to make sure you read the good stuff and not the bad stuff. How do we determine what's good and what's bad? Um, publisher. Okay. <laughs> Banner of Truth's pretty safe. Stick with Banner of Truth. Crossways, generally safe. Um, connect to that, we've got a question about a song. Do you like the song Living Hope? Living Hope, I have no idea what that song is. I Maybe what sort of songs are appropriate to sing in church or not? Do you, what do you go by? Huh. Lyrics, tunes, oh. what church it's coming from, what... Well, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I don't know. I, we sing both. We sing some contemporary ones and we sing some hymns. I mean, I don't know what happened to Be Thou My Vision yesterday, but it, it's not the version I sing. Um, <laughs> got all gender inclusive and stuff on us yesterday, um, which is fine, but it's, I've never heard that before. So, but I don't care. Like, I sing it. It's fine. So hymns are good. You change them up a bit. In Christ Alone. There was one, Behold Our God. I'd never heard that before, and I, you guys sang it really well. I was like, oh, I really like this one. So um, to me, I like to sing th hymns that we say are theologically sound, but that, that's a bit of a... Um, that doesn't really say much. You know, you could say the same thing over and over again that could be theologically sound. Um, I like to say, could I, could I preach this song in a sense? Not like... You know, would I say the words? But does this song have some components that are that would be also good for teaching, preaching, or praying? And if a, if a song can't lead me to those types of things, uh, where it'd be a really bad prayer or a really bad sermon, then I question the song. So if you take some great hymns and "Can It Be" or "Holy, Holy, Holy," you could preach some really awesome sermons from those, right? Um, so try to think about them in connection with every other element of worship, praying, reading the word of God, preaching. Does the song fit with what everything else is going on? Or is it something that's all left on its own where it's just so bland that it doesn't make sense of everything else that's taking place? But there's no easy answer. Unless you're an exclusive psalmist, and then it's easy. Um, we won't go there. <laughs> uh, last question. You mentioned... Paul circumcised Timothy. Why, as this was Old Covenant, did Paul not preach in other places that circumcision should not be practiced? Example, Titus and Galatians chapter 2. Yeah, it all depends on his audience and uh, why he, he would and would not. So, uh, it, it, you know, Timothy, it was still lawful, you know, because of his, you know, his Jewish mother. And it would have just helped um, becoming all things to all people. Just like, you know, Paul wasn't doing it because he thought Timothy needed salvation or this to be saved. He did it just to be able to have an entrance into ministry among certain people. So if I went to a place where they thought having hair was a bad thing and all the men in this neighborhood or village shaved their heads, I would have no problem shaving my head to go and to be able to minister to them. Um, but if I went into a place where um, Christians were saying the only way you can be saved is if you, you know, wear something on your head. I would purposely not wear something on my head because that would be a denial of the gospel um, because I would be giving in to something that's a salvation issue. But things that aren't viewed as salvation issues, I would have no problem giving certain things up. So it all depends on your audience and what you're trying to say to them. 
in Timothy's case, he wasn't, it wasn't about his salvation issue. It was just being able to preach the gospel. In Galatians, they were making it a salvation issue. So he would just have to know. Um, and, it, you know, it would be like a, um, going to a church and, um, you know, culturally, all of, the, all of the men wear a shirt and tie, uh, and I'm going to preach at Knock Presbyterian tonight, and, and I'm told they all wear shirts and ties and suits there. No, no I'm saying if they did. Yeah. I... <laughs> Well, I wouldn't go up in my Liverpool jersey, right? I would go up and I would, I would be able to be able to minister to them effectively. I would just dress like them. It's not a salvation issue. It's just a way of um, meeting people where they are. Okay. Thank you. Um, sorry, we don't have time. A couple of questions didn't ask, but uh, it's half past 12 now. So basically, yeah. uh, that's the end of our Q&A session. If you have a burning question, maybe uh, Mark will be happy to answer it one-to-one. Uh,